Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. I never would have guessed that I'd be revisiting stuff I wrote about activism eight, nine, ten years ago, but here I am with another solo podcast, and I'm going to send this one out to the modern-day Pharisees, in particular those opportunists profiting mightily on Substack from the failure that they help create. On February 15, 2003, 36 million humans all across this flat earth, simultaneously marched to signal their virtue. They marched to show their disapproval for a major escalation of the U.S.-led war against Iraq. For the record, that war had commenced with murderous sanctions in August of 1990. But back to the point. 36 million people in about 3,000 separate groups everywhere on the planet, widely accepted to be the largest protest in history. Now, to demonstrate that Joe Biden is far from the first incoherent puppet to inhabit the White House, at the time, President George W. Bush eloquently declared, quote, democracy is a beautiful thing and that people are allowed to express their opinion, you know, size of protest is like deciding, well, I'm going to decide policy based upon a focus group, close quote. Spoiler alert, one month after the largest protest in history on March 19, 2003, the major escalation of the U.S.-led war against Iraq did indeed commence. And that aggression and that occupation, to some degree, continue to this day with no end in sight. The largest protest in history, made up of 36 million activists, had no impact. In fact, one could convincingly argue that it had negative impact because it further conditioned new activists to unquestionably follow an antiquated paradigm. I'll be right back with the heart of this solo podcast right after this word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here, and I'm asking you to offer some support for a project that I've been running for nearly six years. It's called Helping Homeless Women NYC. And as the name implies, I've been getting out there on the streets for, like I said, nearly six years to offer direct relief to some of the most vulnerable yet fiercest women you'll ever want to meet. If you check the show notes, you will find a direct link for how to donate at GoFundMe. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon patron or in ordering uh, restaurant gift cards directly from my wish list, shoot me an email and I'll send you that information. But I'm just requesting some support, thanking you in advance and asking you no matter what to please share the link far and wide. Now, let's get back to the show. When I first began questioning sacred activist approaches, I would submit evidence like the whole 36 million people story I just told you. And I, my former comrades would usually offer replies like, hey, it was better than nothing. And 
you think you know everything. You're so self-righteous and arrogant. So I suppose we should all just stay home and do nothing then. What's your solution? Now, what's missing from these predictable responses is any attempt to defend or rationalize tactics like marching. People will dedicate an incredible amount of time and energy to protests or these days social media sharing, and some will dedicate major chunks of their life to what they deem to be activism. But when questioned, they are unable to justify or even understand their own choices. So why do activists of all stripes patently refuse to re-examine their preconceptions? There are many varied reasons, of course, but a lot of it has to do with long-term conditioning. Basically, activists march because that's what activists are supposed to do. For example, here in New York City, when the pandemic mandates and measures hit, the alleged dissidents got out to hold signs, chant, give angry talks, and march. In the United States, the gold, the gold standard for protest is the now whitewashed civil rights movement. And the guy at the front of that parade, the guy who got his own national holiday, is the guy who is universally known for marching, along with carrying signs, taking symbolic arrests, and preaching nonviolence some six decades ago. So when someone becomes an activist in 2023, they may reflexively subconsciously think, Hey, if it worked for MLK, who am I to challenge it? This self-limiting message is reinforced 24-7 by status quo gatekeeping parasites like Barack Obama, who once said, quote, Take off your bedroom slippers. Put on your marching shoes. Shake it off. Stop complaining. Stop grumbling. Stop crying. We are going to press on. We have work to do. Even when folks are hitting you over the head, you can't stop marching. Even when they're turning hoses on you, you can't stop. Close quote. So I have a question for you to ponder. Is it at all possible or even likely that the powers that shouldn't be specifically guide us into emulating the exact kind of activism that they can easily deflect, co-opt, demonize, marginalize, or repress? At the very most, going to, march, uh, going to a march allows for the slim possibility of encountering kindred spirits with whom you can potentially brainstorm new and better ideas. More typically, a big march has become nothing more than the ideal venue for virtue-signaling selfies. Activism, in its current forms, can only make things worse. Please allow me to introduce a few reasons why. One. What we call activism reinforces the negative public perception. To the average person, an activist is a fringe character, a fanatic, a wild-eyed zealot who sees the world in black and white terms. This perception exists for two primary reasons. Firstly, the corporate media works relentlessly and effectively to portray activism in a negative light. Secondly, Many, if not most, dissidents are wild-eyed zealots who see the world in black and white terms. For example, I can remember many times standing out in sub-zero temperatures with a handful of others protesting something or other. We'd feel so proud of ourselves. It was so dedicated of us to be risking our health for the cause. When I'd share photos later, I'd use self-serving and self-deluding captions like, this is what commitment looks like. Meanwhile, the people walking past such protests would look at us like we were, well, 
wild-eyed zealots. Some even yelled stuff like, get a life, and what's wrong with you people? I can see now how ridiculous we must have looked and how grandiose it was to assume that we were doing anything even remotely productive. Multiply my experiences by thousands of events for thousands of issues across the country every single day, and you have a self-fulfilling prophecy of failure. Secondly, what we call activism is more about social media than effectiveness. Thanks to social media, protest has morphed into a blend of exhibitionism and voyeurism. And this virtually guarantees that big protest turnouts have become increasingly uncommon because people can simply watch along at home from the comfort of their own home via live stream or just wait for the orgy of images and videos to be posted later that same day. And those that do attend will play to the cameras and reduce dissent to an increasingly insular experience of activists performing for each other. Those who do attend will also keep score as to who shows up at more demonstrations and is thus more hardcore. And a whole new breed of virtual hero will have their effectiveness measured by Facebook shares, Instagram likes, Twitter retweets, and Substack paychecks. And thirdly, for now, what we call activism gives us the illusion of being a threat when we want that so badly. That's why so many so-called activists are sure that they're the ones being monitored and being spied on. Because if activism, especially street activism, posed any threat to the status quo, they wouldn't be selling us permits to perform it. It's all part of the wink-wink, nudge-nudge facade of the land of the free. The so-called elites snicker as they agree, let the silly activists chant and sing. It'll create the impression that we tolerate and even appreciate dissent. Then we could smirk and haughtily remind folks that this isn't allowed in many other countries, you know. It reminds me of something Alexander Haig said back in the day. He was a chief of staff under Presidents Nixon and Ford and the Secretary of Defense under President Reagan. He announced during the the 60s marches, let them march all they want as long as they continue to pay their taxes. And if protests appear like they might be catching on, that's when the powers that shouldn't be released the big illusion. What's the big illusion, you ask? Surely you know. I mean, we all know and we're all complicit. It's when, for street activism, the cops are told to viciously crack down on the hapless protesters. And on other types of activism, it's when the government censors are let loose to destroy access to information itself. The disproportionate brutality and extremity of their response will appear to send a tacit message to ineffectual activists. You're scaring us, so we're shutting you down. Of course, this isn't even close to true, but tell a group of social media pumped sign holders that they're dangerous and you could be sure that they won't ever try tactics that might ever work. I mean, why risk everything by escalating when your puppets and your V for Vendetta masks have the state in a total panic, right? Now, this activist template I've just described may feel like it's carved in stone and very few folks are up to the task of reinvention. Let's face it, it takes a lot of work, unglamorous, uncredited work, to tear down and rebuild anything. The reinvention of dissent is not going to happen quickly. It's not going to be flashy or Instagram-ready either. And I know firsthand it will also not garner you many likes nor win you any popularity contests. 
Simply put, it's way easier to let established groups tell you when and where to show up, what to chant, which hashtags to use, and what's the latest color-coded profile picture that's trending. Blind faith in the past and an unwillingness to break a sweat is a recipe for failure in any venture. It is far easier to engage in confirmation bias. It is far easier to establish a hierarchy in which ideas funnel down from a few at the top to the many at the bottom. Plus, if you challenge any of the established woke groups, you will be you risk being ostracized and canceled. If you challenge any activist group, you risk this. You risk um, concepts like a whisper campaign, where I lived through this myself when I was involved in animal rights, where one of the <clears throat> so-called leaders of the group didn't like that I was challenging tactics, so he engaged in a secret email campaign against me. Someone shared the news about that, um, so I was able to address it. Um, that stuff still happens today. Trust me, I've witnessed it firsthand. Um, so a major reason for this subversive stagnation and this behavior is ego. Who among us likes to admit that they're wrong? Who doesn't dig in their heels when they're told they're not keeping up with the times? Success in any realm of life requires a delicate emotional dance. We must strongly believe enough in ourselves to boldly put forth an agenda. Simultaneously, we must accept that we are more than capable of getting some or many things wrong. Only when we begin to deoccupy our egos can we identify some of our cognitive dissonances. It's been said that heartbreak is your ego cracking. In the name of the common good and our shared future, we must risk that heartbreak by never becoming complacent and or too sure of ourselves. Let go of the past. Question all historical narratives, and if a tactic works, immediately start adapting it. Remember, whether you do, do so or not, the people in charge never stop adapting, and that's how they stay light years ahead of their opposition. Spoiler alert, their opposition is us. I'll be back with some closing thoughts after one more word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here. I trust you're enjoying this episode, but I wanted to take a quick break to request that you seriously consider becoming a paid subscriber to Post Woke, because Post Woke is more than this podcast, which is a weekly podcast with crucial, important conversations with crucial and important guests. Post Woke is also a Substack on which I post on a daily basis. I'm talking about written posts. And I, first and foremost, I am a writer. I have 12 books out and I have been writing for many decades. And so you are getting quality content at least once a day, all for $5 a month. And no matter what you decide, you can become a free subscriber if you choose. I ask you to please share the link and spread the word. And while you're at it, Check the show notes for information on how to order the post-woke t-shirt. It is a completely cool, kick-ass shirt, and you could show the world what your favorite podcast and Substack is. So I thank you in advance for your support. Again, I urge you to spread the word, and let's get back to the show. If not for the scourge of virtue signaling, 
Becoming an activist could be an incredibly positive experience, creating community, inspiring change, feeling empowered. While most humans choose instead to use their meager time chasing money, collecting possessions, and obsessing over pop culture, some folks see a bigger picture, a longer view, a deeper connection. However, being an effective activist also requires us to tear off the blinders and become acutely aware of how our way of life has devastated the planet. Now, for as long as I've been writing, giving public talks, and producing podcasts, I've aimed to bluntly challenge conventional wisdom. For doing the work of digging up uncomfortable truths, I've often heard the refrain, why are you so negative? Now, when you call me negative, what does that word mean in this context? I mean, if you brought your car in for a tune-up, do you want the mechanic to compliment you for keeping your tire pressure at the right level, but stay away from a negative topic like defective brakes? Why then do so many humans shut down when confronted with the realities of our current social, economic, and environmental crises? Why is analysis that presents a dose of reality smugly dis dismissed as negative? Don't you want to know what's going on and how you can help address it beyond minor lifestyle changes and petty conflicts of party politics? Why not save your knee-jerk negative retort for those who directly or indirectly support the corporate-sponsored plundering of our freedoms? Newsflash, it's not negativity that's the issue here, friends. It's denial. Antonio Gramsci once wrote, I'm a pessimist because of my intelligence, but an optimist because of my will. I can think of no better mantra. Don't shy away from learning the ugly realities of industrial civilization, but never let these brutal truths prevent you from taking the urgent action and believing that you can create change and save lives human and non-human lives. It's a delicate balance, but our ability to walk this fine line could literally make all the difference in the world for those within our reach. Translation, we need a planet brimming with pessimistic optimists who keep their guard up. <laughs>